0: Hi, everybody. It's Paul, the nonpartisan evangelical, and it is an historic day and a day that I think I need to have a really honest conversation with everybody. So I'm flipping on the mic and we'll see what happens today as we talk the acquittal or what is soon to be the acquittal of President Donald J. Trump on today's nonpartisan evangelical WTH edition, The Week That Happened. We're talking religion and politics on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of the partisan evangelical church and asking the question, is God really a conservative Republican, and does God require his followers to be? Podcasting worldwide on the NPE Network at npepodcast.com. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast with the Nonpartisan Evangelical himself, your host, Paul swearingen All right, everybody. Hi, glad you're with me on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast, the WTH Week That Happened edition. And I'm here today because it is Friday, January 31st, 2020, and it is an- historic day in american history that's that's grammatically correct right and historic day i think that's how you're supposed to say it and here's what's historical about today the senate voted today to block any witnesses in the senate impeachment trial of president donald j trump uh, by a 51 49 almost completely partisan party line vote other than all democrats voted to have witnesses as well as two republicans Uh, Senator Romney from Utah, Senator Collins from Maine. Um, Today, Senator Murkowski from Alaska said she would vote against having witnesses, and that meant there would not be a 50-50 tie, which then would make things very interesting. And last night, and perhaps more significantly, Lamar Alexander, a senator from Tennessee, uh, made uh, some statements that I think I'll go into today that are really interesting. But I, but I want to preface all of this by saying, first off, my hope is always in God and never in politics or government or what's going on in Washington or Sacramento if you're a Californian out here, or any other government. And and I still believe. Good things are going to come out of all of this. I just don't think the way we're being told good things are going to come out of it. It doesn't mean that there won't be pain in the middle of it as we're getting to God's merciful answer for it all. But I'm not without hope today, even as I'm horribly sad for the country today and horribly sad for what I would call my people. As a Republican and an evangelical, um, my heart weeps for my people, the Republicans and the evangelicals, which are often the same people and are often conflating that both of those are the godly side of the world to be on. And you know, that's what I talk about quite a bit on here, that uh, when I am when I say I'm the nonpartisan evangelical, I'm an evangelical who's pushing against this idea that God is a Republican and requires, this, or at least requires, His people to be so. If that doesn't make you turn off the podcast, then keep listening because I think it's important to have this discussion today. So, here's what the news is. Last night, Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee came out and said he would vote against having witnesses in the trial, which the House managers have been pushing for to try to get John Bolton, uh, a Fox News uh, commentator who had become a cabinet member for President Trump, and was recently either quit or fired, depending on who you're listening to and who is coming out with a book that's going to have very damning things to say about President Trump and and his dealing with the Ukraine and this whole uh, foreign aid issue. Um, And so Lamar Alexander came out last night and said he would not vote for, uh, he would vote for acquitting the president. And this was a big deal, uh, in part because that was going to give cover to others. uh, I'm sorry, that he was going to vote to not have witnesses. And, and let me step back and say they have voted 51-49 to not have witnesses. And that means probably later tonight or by the time you've heard this podcast, the president will have been acquitted by the Senate and the impeachment trial will be over. And for, probably for all of us, there's a little bit of a, whew, thank God that's over. Uh, and for some very good friends of mine, it'll be a day of celebration that, yes, we've won again because winning political battles is what really matters to us in our daily life. But here's what's important about what Lamar Alexander said last night. Um, First of it was important because uh, for one, Lamar Alexander occupies a seat that was once held by a man named Howard Baker. And if you know American history well, you know that Howard Baker is most famous uh, for having been the senator, a Republican senator that said about Richard Nixon, what did he know? And when did he know it? And Howard Baker saying that in a Senate hearing gave cover for more Republicans to start to question what Richard Nixon was doing and ultimately led to the resignation of Richard Nixon before he was uh, impeached and uh, before he would be taken out of office. So to have a senator from that seat say last night, what he did is really stark. And here's what he said. Lamar Alexander said this, I don't want to have witnesses in the Senate trial. And again, this is going to be my interpretation of it. This is not word for word. I'm not reading it off my screen or anything. You can go look up the, the, the full quote for yourself. And I encourage you to do that so you can translate it yourself. But here's in essence what I heard Lamar Alexander say. He said, Trump did it. He did. It. The, he said, the reason we don't need witnesses is the House managers have proven with great evidence, a mountain of evidence he quoted the House managers having said, that President Trump was inappropriate in his actions toward the Ukraine and that he did it. He used... American foreign aid, which had been approved by the American Congress, and the withholding of that aid to try to leverage a foreign government to do something that would be in the political interest and reelection interest of the President of the United States. And Lamar Alexander went on to say, yes, he did it, which is, again... Uh, against what President Trump has been saying all along, that he, what he, his call with Ukraine was perfect, and he released the transcript and it was perfect, and everybody should just think nothing to see here. Well, Lamar Alexander said that's not true. What the president said is not true. The president did something wrong, but I'm not going to vote to remove him from office because I think the electorate should decide in 2020, and you can determine if you think that's right, wrong, or otherwise and, and the reason, again, that that's significant is, one, he's sitting in Howard Baker's seat. And two, just the idea. Yes, the president did this. He used the office of president. He used taxpayer-funded foreign aid to try and give himself an advantage in the upcoming 2020 election. And if you've heard the president's defense team, the lawyers in the Senate, if you've been watching it, they actually have been arguing that that is Okay for a president to do that, that it's not something for which he should be impeached, which is the only remedy we have if a president does something against the law. So if you don't believe me, this is Alan Dershowitz, um, a man who says he voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, but was one of the president's defense team. This is what Alan Dershowitz argued in front of the Senate on that exact topic. Every public official that I know believes that his election is in the public interest. And mostly, you're right. Your election is in the public interest. And if a president does something which he believes will help him get elected in the public interest, that cannot be the kind of quid pro quo that results in impeachment. So in other words, and uh, that's from a YouTube video from CNN that I got that clip, um, now, again, I encourage you to go look at that quote from Alan Dershowitz yourself and make your own interpretation of what was said. But for our purposes, uh, and, and Alan Dershowitz has said he was just arguing sort of the um, constitutional case here rather than the facts. But basically what I hear him saying is if the president believes it's in the interest of the country for him to be reelected, then whatever he does towards that end is okay and he cannot be removed from office from that and so therefore because the president can claim executive privilege over many of the things he does there is no remedy now according to alan Dershowitz's argument although he did say he believed nixon should have been impeached but in essence we're coming out of this on the other side with almost no remedy a president can do whatever he wants and remember uh president trump said this then I have an Article 2 where I have the right to do whatever I want as president, but I don't even talk about that. So the president says Article 2 of the Constitution gives him the right to do whatever he wants. And he's made this statement over and over again. So now what we have with Alan Dershowitz argument is the president, if he feels like his reelection is in the interest of the country, then whatever he does becomes unimpeachable. And he believes that Article 2 says he can do whatever he wants to do as president. And, and so doesn't it feel like we're just in this weird, off-the-rails idea that the president of the United States can do whatever he wants? And then when the president has really nobody around him who seems to be able to to put guardrails on him, and the 81% of, of white evangelicals that will vote for him even if he shoots someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue, I, I find I'm a little bit worried for... Donald Trump, that he has so much authority with no accountability, I think that's a little bit difficult for anybody. And the thing that's amazing is, for some of us that know history really well, we remember when Richard Nixon says, if the president does it, it's not a crime. In fact, you can hear him say it. Well, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal, by definition. Exactly. Exactly. Richard Nixon said, if the president does anything that's illegal, it it is not illegal. And that was dramatized in a great movie a few years ago. I I just want to play this clip real quick because I love to play movie clips anyway. This is from the Frost-Nixon movie and a dramatization of that play between uh, interviewer David Frost and Richard Nixon. And I have always maintained what they were doing, what we were all doing was not criminal. Look, when you're in office you got to do a lot of things sometimes that are not always, in the strictest sense of the law, legal. But you do them because they're in the greater interests of the nation. Right, wait, just so I understand correctly. Are you really saying that in certain situations, the president can decide whether it's in the best interests of the nation and then do something illegal? I'm saying that when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. I'm sorry? That's what I believe. And that was the exchange. And in some ways, Alan Dershowitz and Donald Trump are now saying in their combined statements that when the president does it, it's not illegal. And Lamar Alexander and the Senate have backed up this idea of, hey, the president may have done something wrong, but there is no remedy for Congress to take him out of office for doing that. And I think that's just a sad day in the history of the United States. But I'm I'm really not sad because... Donald Trump wasn't taken out of office. I I, I really probably am not in, in favor of that. I'm not sad uh, because one side won, one side lost. I'm sad because as a lifelong Republican and a lifelong evangelical, it feels to me like our integrity and morals have become extremely malleable in the pursuit of of good ends. So the ends, of course, being can we get anti-abortion Supreme Court justices, anti-gay marriage Supreme Court justices, pro-Israel president, uh, a president that will show up at the National Sanctity of Life Day. And and is that trade worth it? Is it worth it if we gain everything we ever wanted politically, but lose our souls? When I deal with the people that I'm working with through the nonpartisan evangelical on a regular basis, and I hear how some of them have been so hurt by the partisanship of the church that it has driven them from being able to be part of the Christian community anymore, is it worth winning the political battles and losing our ability to advance the kingdom? And as a Republican, Uh, It seems like we've lost our moral integrity just a little bit. And it makes me, and I wanted to turn on the mic and have this really honest conversation with you, when I think about what being Republican means to me and what being evangelical means to me, I wonder today if I'm either of the above. And I say this with all due respect because some of my greatest friends fall under both of those categories, but I see this desire to win these political battles that we've had for so long now starting to usurp our ability to withhold our integrity. And ultimately, I think democracy and a great nation breaks down if we start to say, I can set aside my integrity to get to the good ends of what I'm trying to get to. And yes, I can agree that that's been happening on both sides of the aisle for a long time, but I never really believed that the church would get to this place. And when I hear our leaders saying things about how, hey, this is, this is God's plan for the season, I, I can agree with that. I'm a believer in, in sort of that there is a God that interacts in the affairs of man, as Benjamin Franklin said. But for what purpose? If it's for running over people, and start to give us permission to be divisive and hurtful of people, then I start to say, maybe we're interpreting some of this in our own ways rather than seeing this in the life of Jesus. I actually see quite the opposite in the gospel. And so all of that is why my my as an American, as a Republican, and as an evangelical, my heart's pretty heavy to hear a senator from Tennessee say, yes, the president did it. It was wrong, but I will vote to acquit him nonetheless and i will buy the argument that his law uh, his lawyers are making that if he believes his re-election is in the best interest of the country then it's not an impeachable thing that they are backing up richard nixon's belief that if the president does it it's not illegal what do you think i'd love to hear from you in the comments and uh, just chime in on it because I'm worried, ultimately, that in 25 years with the way millennials and Gen Zers are looking at what's happening with this very conservative, staunch, boomer, evangelical generation, if there will be a Republican Party and an evangelical church in 25 years. And again, I know some of you are going to roll your eyes, but, but seriously, as I'm having the interactions with people here, I'm starting to wonder, what does this look like in the future? We have a generation today that's been so fixated for so long in the evangelical church on political solutions to things we see changing around us. That we are willing to put aside a whole lot of things to try to get after some form of legal godliness to make our country seem what it used to be in the 50s. And, and that mindset has made that generation so afraid of immigrants, minorities, people of different religions or beliefs, or of course, young snowflakes who don't know any better uh, than what they're doing, you know, that they're coming to take our way of life, that we've lost our compass for God's heart for people. And, and sure, we would say, no, on an individual basis, I'm never going to dislike a person. But we don't realize, if, if you listen to my podcast of the DACA dreamer, Sergio Cortez I had on, we don't realize how much we're hurting people with our rhetoric and our desire to say any means to get Roe v. Wade overturned, any means to get gay marriage outlawed, any means to stop those people from coming across the border. Because I think actually the gospels provide a better way for changing the hard things of culture through a relationship with a with a goodness of a being that's outside of sort of the 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 ills of humanity that draws us to our better selves that can actually change these things but we can't share that message anymore because we're in a political war with the culture around us. (laughs) Let me take a a quick pause here and just tell you about a little something I'm doing right now. I am recording my book in audio and I'm releasing it in an audiobook series form. Um, It'll come out in segments and segment one is out right now, which is uh, sort of the start of the book, the acknowledgement, the forewords, the prologue, and the first five chapters. And it's, it's really good stuff. And what I really love is as we're putting it out there, I'm also doing a commentary that sort of tells where the stories came from, why I wrote the book, what I'm seeing as I wrote it and I think it's going to be kind of fascinating for you to follow along with. So I'd love for you to do it. It's The Joseph Comes to Town When the Religious Right Goes Religiously Wrong. That's the name of my novel. You can buy it on Amazon if you're still a a paperback guy or a paperback gal or you can hear it in audiobook series form on my Patreon page. So if you go to my website npepodcast.com Click on that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner. It'll tell you how to do it. It's just $5.99 to get started, $5.99 a month to stay in, and that support helps buy our equipment, pay for our marketing, do all the things that we love to do. So it's Joseph comes to town, my new novel. When the religious right goes religiously wrong, and you can hear it in audiobook form. I'll read it to you. And then I'll give you my commentary of sort of what I see happening there and why I did it uh, and, and wrote it in the way that I did. And I would love to have you join that, join that conversation. We'll have some live discussions around it and uh, just want to really deeply dive in to the issues we're discussing there. So thanks for letting me share that with you. So now let me finish up our conversation today as, I'm wrestling with where where is my heart as far as Republicanism and evangelicalism go if being Republican and being evangelical mean I have to support a political ideology. And it's really, it, it, it maybe is a little bit embodied in Donald Trump, but it actually has been there much longer than Donald Trump's presidency or candidacy. It's been here for a long time, this idea of conservatism being our hope for changing our culture somehow that we felt it needed to be changed back to something it used to be in the past. I think God is not as afraid of the change in culture as we are. I think, you know, if you look back at Scripture, look back at the Bible and the story of the church of the first century, they were terrified, terrified that Israel was changing, that Rome had come in, that the Samaritans, these sort of half-breed other religious people were in their country and they were terrified that their religion and their state were being changed forever. And their belief, the Pharisees' belief and the Sadducees' belief was that if Israel isn't great and strong. If Israel is not the military and economic power of the world, then how will the message of God get out to the world, and how will the plan of God succeed? And there's this this hugely interesting passage that always fascinates me to think about. It's John eleven forty eight, and it says this: um, If Maybe I better give some context to this. Uh, the subheading in most Bibles you read, it will say the plot to kill Jesus. So these religious leaders, the chief priest and the Pharisees got together to to decide, okay, we have to kill Jesus because he's threatening uh, our, our religious culture here. He's threatening our nation. And, and oh, by the way, they had decided they were going to have to kill Lazarus too, because Lazarus had resurrected from the dead and he was a testament to who Jesus was. So we're going to have to kill Jesus. And we're going to have to kill this guy, Lazarus too, which by the way, if you're starting to plot how you kill these guys to protect yourself, you, you've gone off the ledge to begin with. And so then they say this, this really interesting passage in John 11:48. 48, it says, if we let him, Jesus, go on like this, doing the, the signs he's doing and these other things, Everyone will believe in him. They wanted to make sure people didn't believe in Jesus, that he was the Messiah. It says, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. I mean, hear what's being said here. Let me read it again. If we let him go on like this, sorry for hitting the mic there. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, if you want to translate that, our place could be they'll take away the temple and our ability to do sacrifice, which ultimately did happen and was God's purpose for the season as we read in Hebrews. So they totally misunderstood what God's intention was at the time to begin with. But they said they'll take away our place and our nation. They they felt again that it was so important that they preserve Israel, that they were even willing to, to support a, a really immoral king in Herod because Herod was the immoral leader that, you know, a little bit like Donald Trump today. Well, he may not tweet the way I like, or he may not have the lifestyle I like, but he's preserving our state and our religion, and therefore we will back him because, preserving our place and our nation are so important to God's plan. And ultimately, what we find out is that didn't turn out to be God's plan and Jerusalem was destroyed. And that nation of Rome, that empire of Rome, which of course, God didn't approve of everything they did, but it became the conduit for the message of God to go to the Gentile world. So it actually turned out to be part of God's plan or something he used to get the message of the Bible to the whole world. So most of us listening are probably Gentiles. And because of Rome, we were able to receive the gospel and to know about God and the story of Jesus and all of that. And that's what the Pharisees wanted to keep from happening. And I feel like today we're in a similar time in history where we feel like we have to have somebody to preserve our nation and preserve our religion, rather than understanding that if our goodness exists. Our nation will be preserved. And if our religion in Acts 2, 42 through 45, it says what they were doing was so good, they didn't have to have an outreach plan to add people to Christianity because that verse Acts two forty-five says God added to their number daily. That what they were doing was so attractive to the people around them, they didn't have to fight for their rights people just started coming. And then even when they were outlawed as a religion, people still kept coming. And the religion actually flourished when they were outlawed. So we're fighting for rights. And what we're actually fighting for is our comfort. I'm not asking for persecution or any of those things. What I'm saying is, I believe if we follow God's heart, even if it looks self-sacrificial, rather than say, no, we have to have a means to an end that I will support even illegal activity in the White House to make sure that the Supreme Court is in place, maybe we've lost our heart as Republicans and as evangelical Christians. And I'm asking you to consider that out of all of this. Lastly, one thing that I want to do out of this all is just tell young people if you're listening to this and you're a millennial or a Gen Z, or I've been able to start to have conversations with a lot of you, I want to tell you, you don't have to believe in the sort of partisan ideology that you've seen in the church for a long, long time. What I what I see happening that that really is worrisome to me is, is we're packaging church, I'm using my air quotes, that we're packaging church in a way that says you have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe in his death on the cross and the resurrection. You have to believe in the sacraments. And you have to believe in being patriotic and have to believe in this, you know all of these other things that go along with it. You have to believe in these conservative stances on taxes and other issues and immigration. And our young people are saying, you know, we don't agree with that. And because we don't agree with you on how you handle gay marriage, we have to leave the religion altogether. And I want to say we can disagree on some of those things and still have communion together and you not have to walk away from the faith. And in doing that, I'm starting a new thing called Old Pastor New Conversations. I want to get millennials together. We have an event coming up in February to kick it off to have these conversations and allow millennials to ask these questions so I can say you don't have to walk away from God Just because politically you believe differently than the going mindset of the evangelical church. I want to be able to have those conversations. So it's called Old Pastor New Conversations. If you go to my website, npepodcast.com, click on the events button, you'll see right there how to sign up. And by the way, millennials and Gen Zers, if you register today, I'll put your name into a drawing to win a $25 gift card to Dutch Brothers, which I know is addictive to my kids. So try it out. Um, So... I just want to share all of that with you guys today. Some of this I'm walking out in real time with you as I'm recording this, just what what I'm feeling in my heart. And if you're listening to this, what I would love to invite you to do is start to go listen to some of my past podcasts. Last week, I talked to a DACA dreamer named Sergio, an amazing guy. I talked to uh, recently a progressive pastor um, I talked to a black spoken word artist. I talked, uh, I have a pod- podcast coming up next week where we talk with a, a gay woman from the LB- LGBTQ community, LGBTQ plus community. I want us to hear the voices of the people that we're standing against and note that they're human and real. Uh, I, I like the word somebody gave me recently, proximity, be in proximity to people that you think aren't worthy are quite up to our standard of godliness. See if it doesn't change your heart. Republican, evangelical, I don't know, I'm kind of wrestling with where I am on all of those right now, but I know this, I love Republicans and I love evangelicals. And I know God loves Republicans and he loves evangelicals. And oh, by the way, though you Republican evangelicals out there, he loves Democrats and Libertarians and Green Partiers. One more thing I would recommend you check out go to YouTube, call up The Hymn of the 81%. It's a song a young man wrote about the pain that he's experienced from the Evangelical Church. And I believed you when you said that I should trust the words in red to guide my steps through a wicked world I assume you do the same So imagine my dismay When I watched you lead the sheep to the wolves You said to love the lost So I'm loving you now You said speak the truth I'm calling you why don't you live the words That you put in my mouth of a call And justice rolled out That's a song by Daniel Dietrich And I hope you can hear the pain That's being shared there without Being too offended because I think it's important that we hear the pain of the world around us and say, is it worth it to just try to win political battles? Millennials, Gen Zers, I want to tell you, we haven't done it perfectly with the boomers and the Xers. We've made some mistakes. I think we're a little bit off track, but I believe you're going to pull us back. And that gives me hope. I think you're going to do things differently. And I want to give you permission to do that. So, I didn't mean to do that as a commercial, but I would love you to join me in old pastor new conversations. Thank you for letting me have this real time processing with you on the nonpartisan evangelical the week that happened. I am hopeful that a a repentance is coming to God's church that will be so powerful to bring his message of goodness to the world out there. The Joshua and Calebs are out there that can still see past the giants and the things that bring us fear. And say, if we just trust God and walk with him, we don't have to win political battles to see good things happen in the United States. We don't have to see good things. We don't have to win political battles and lose our goodness. Dwight Eisenhower, a bunch of other people have said in a quote that I'm not exactly sure who first said it. America's great because she's good. And when she ceases to be good, she'll no longer be great. So if we want to make America great again, let's look for our goodness again. Where is our goodness? God's resolution may look different than ours, but that's okay. Maybe he really, really does care about people that are in really difficult life decision moments, people of other races, people of other gender preferences, people of other political persuasions church leaders of other churches that think differently than we do. Maybe God really does love those guys too. Would you think about it with me a little bit? So I'm just going to say this prayer real quick. God, I I pray over our nation. I pray over our Senate, our House, over our Congress, over the White House, over our president, vice president, the administration. Pour your blessing out and your wisdom on us all. But for us as the electorate, who put people there show us what your goodness looks like in the middle of all of this show us what a generation handing something better than we had to the next generation what that looks like and let that be our heart's desire beyond everything else not just to for me to hand something to my kids that's better than me but for me to hand something to an entire generation that's better than what my generation had let that be my heart's desire And let that be the heart's desire of the boomers and the Xers as we start to finish our time of leading the world and see the millennials step up to their leadership time. And we bless them in that. Okay, again, this is pretty raw, real-time processing. Probably not the best podcast I've ever done. But I feel the emotion of that in my heart. I did a conference this last weekend where... I was talking to people in an industry where the generational shift is so heavy right now as the boomers are handing over these family businesses to their to their millennial kids and my heart was just so going out to say generations honor each other honor each other don't don't younger generation you don't come up and start saying get out of the way and let us ha- let us have our time and the older generation don't say hey young buck you've got to go through the pain that I went through to get here but both generations say yes you're right You're right, we want to honor what you've built for us and we want to go beyond that. And the older generation say, yes, it's your time and we want you to start far ahead of where we started and far exceed what we've done. And I think if we do that as a culture, it'll start to resolve things much better than us passing laws to force everybody to do good things. That heart will change things. All right, I'll stop blubbering on Love you all. Bless your household. And thank you for listening to the Nonpartisan Evangelical.